And at some point, did you notice Chet has a pocket full of watercress? Gross. It's like, is that a thing that you do? You just have a pocket full of soggy watercress microgreens yeah with that are full of lint now and like bits of dirt great crunch that down this is the hardy boys drink book i'm charles webso each week we sit down with creative and hilarious people to talk about a book in the hardy boys mystery series sorry this episode is a week late i'm moving right now so i'm a few days late and way more than a dollar short normally i would have a bartender mix us up a cocktail but today i'm rolling up the sleeves and making a drink myself Get chloroformed, buy a used car, and fight a Spider-Man on The Hardy Boys Drink Book Number 6, The Shore Road Mystery. Hi, everybody, and welcome to The Hardy Boys Drink Book Podcast. I'm Charles Wefso. We are here with Kelleen Wells, a dear friend of mine, local business owner, really smart, funny person. Kelleen, thank you for being on the show. Hi, Chuck. It's my pleasure. Okay, so Kelleen, we are here to talk about The Shore Road Mystery. That's the sixth book in the Hardy Boys series. First impressions. Oh, boy. Uh, There are a lot of characters, honestly, and I think that there's a lot of people who just don't need to be around. App summary of any Hardy Boys adventure. <laughs> so you are giving a talk, before we get into the story, you're giving a talk at one of the Nerd Nights in town. Would you talk a little bit about what's coming up? Sure. Nerd Night is a monthly event at the Oriental Theater. It's a lot like TED Talks, but with a lot more booze. And I will be giving a talk on Chernobyl sometime soon, maybe in October. We haven't nailed down the date yet. It sounds like a real uplifting evening. Yeah, I would like to do it around Halloween because it is one of the weirder things that I've ever done in my life. Cool. A little background on the Hardy Boys series. The Hardy Boys mystery series was originally written in the 1920s by Franklin W. Dixon, who's better known as the inventor of toy grenades. He wrote the book in the 1920s. They were heavily rewritten in the 1950s uh, in a desire to make them more PC, less racist, to make the boys more respectful of authority, apparently. I guess in the original books, they did not like to go to the police. In this book, they go to the police once a chapter. All right, I say we jump right in because even though this is a really classic Hardy Boys where it almost all takes place in the Bayport area, it uh, basically the opening of this book was the opening of the first book. They're riding their motorcycles, a car almost hits them. They're like, whoa! And then they hear on their police scanners that are built into their radios on their motorcycles that there's a gang of car thieves, so they try to chase it down. Is that what happens? Yeah, basically. Although I'm really confused. Have you ever been on a motorcycle? Yes. And I know like really fancy new motorcycles with their really radios that Bluetooth into your helmet and all that stuff. But like they have full conversations while racing down the road on their 1950s motorcycles. Well, ostensibly their 1920s motorcycles. I bet those were slightly louder. Maybe even a little bit. So I'm. that was the very first thing that I noticed. How did they hear that? The book starts with far too much action in the first chapter. It's You don't get into it at all. They go on a car chase to catch a stolen car. The car is lost. They go down to the beach. They save their friend Jack Dodd and his dad, whose boat is sinking. Then their friend Jerry's car gets stolen. And that's in like the first... That's the first chapter. Yeah. All of that happens. In like um, 10 pages. In 10 pages. Yeah, it was too much. So yeah, Jerry's car is stolen. They find a dead bat at one point. That's gross. And seems to come out of nowhere. They're just walking on the beach and they're like, look, a dead bat. Yeah. And they do this a couple times. I... Where they find the dead bats. Yeah. Yeah. And, and they, like, crazier is there a dead bat? And they're like, is someone putting these dead bats around here on purpose? And I'm like, that's the Hardy Boys mystery that I want to read. The mystery of the dude with the dead bat. 
I feel like he would be a hoarder of some kind mm-hmm. and smell real bad. Yeah, like guano. Uh, so they chase the guy who stole Jerry's car, but they lose it because a produce truck pulls out in front of them. And the farmer's like, oh, didn't see you there. My truck doesn't have a horn. Which I was suspicious of a little bit, but they've met stupid farmers before, so... I felt really, oh, you know, in the margins, I actually wrote, I think it's that redneck farmer. Yeah, they're not, they're not good at, yeah, at at subtly presenting clues or red herrings. They go home because they lose the car. Fenton's going to head off to New York to do some big case. And Chet Morton is, they find out that Chet Morton is becoming a vegetarian, which is great because Chet Morton is like constantly being teased for being plump. He's described as plump. It's his only defining attribute. And so he decides he wants to be a vegetarian, which is totally normal, but they treat it like he's decided to start wearing a dress. Like how, how ridiculous. Chet. That's so weird. They harass him mercilessly throughout this entire Everyone book. harasses Chet chat through the whole book and he doesn't even stand up for himself like nope. i kept expecting him to pull a chunk and be like guys quit it yeah but he doesn't not even he's once. used he to it doesn't even stand up he for even lets one of the hardies date his little sister yeah who is slim and attractive because- i've never met someone other than aunt gertrude who isn't described as like pretty attractive sweet right so oh the dods right Jack and uh, his dad, Mr. Dodd. I don't remember his dad's name. I don't think they give it. They get accused of the car thefts. They ask the boys to come out to them to talk to them about a mystery that they want them to help with. And they get accused of the car thefts. And there's pretty good evidence. Like Jack's fishing rod is in the back of one of the stolen cars, which uh, seems a little too obvious. One of those things on forensics files where you're like, hmm, that seems like a fake. Big red herring. Although to the police defense, Mr. Dodd goes in there and mucks up the entire thing with his fingerprints. Oh, yeah. He's like, I went to search the car to see if there was any identification of the owner. And they're like, all right. So I touched everything. Their fingerprint analysis is amazingly fast and accurate for the 1950s, where they can like dust a car and be like, those are Mr. Dodd's fingerprints without leaving the scene to have them analyzed. That's Um, amazing. The Hardys pay the bail for the Dodds to get them out of jail, which is a normal thing the Hardys would do because these people are innocent because they believe they are innocent, so they must be. And seemingly have inexhaustible funds. Yeah. The Hardys never... Well, they found treasure in the first book. Yeah, but didn't they give most of that away? Yeah, they got like a thousand bucks. Yeah. Well, it was the 50s. I don't know. Yeah. yeah, they seem to have infinite money. It comes in handy later. The They ask the Dodds if they have any idea if there's anyone who could want to attack them. They're like, one person, Ray Slagle. Um, spoiler, Ray Slagle is the guy he is the first guy that they investigate that's the guy that's the guy that's the guy and also slagle of course he's the guy ray slagle yeah Yeah, he's got a bad guy name yeah they learn we were both very confused about this they learned that the dodds the mystery the dodds wanted their help with originally was the pilgrim treasure mystery and i was actually even confused about this because mr dodd senior it goes through this huge exposition where he talks about this mystery of this pilgrim who goes off with his wife and kids and they get what is it shipwrecked? Yeah, there's they like a hurricane and a but they storm. have pilgrim treasure. And yeah, so they they think that like he managed to bury this treasure before his family died. I have never heard of pilgrims with treasure. I thought that like they were destitute and poor, and a lot of them died on the way over. And 
Yeah, and what good really are rubies and gold in a place where I mean you can't plant it? It doesn't no. grow into it. What are you gonna gold. trade that for? Yeah. Um yeah, I, I and why does there need to be a secret treasure mystery? There's already a ring of car thieves mystery and the mystery that their dad is investigating, which is like smugglers. You know what it must be is that maybe the Hardy Boys make all of their money off of treasures, various treasures that they find, and they were just running short. Because you'll see at the end of the book, they have run through a lot of cash. Yeah, that's right. They need to find a new treasure ASAP. Yeah. Chet finds a work glove at the scene of one of the like car thefts. And then they have a picture of the bad guy. So they compare it to the gloves he's wearing in the photo. Who took that guy's photo? Yeah. He was a farmhand. Is that a thing that you do? Take a hey. picture of your farmhands? No. <laughs> <laughs> I like my grandparents had a farm. There's not a lot of pictures of the farmhands in their house. Um, anyway, oh, they get a weird visit from a guy who shows up at their house and is like, "I'm here to hire you for a, a case in New York City. Come with me right now." And God bless the Hardy Boys for being like, "No, thank you, sir." Right. Well, and also this just doesn't actually make sense. Why would you do this? Why would you drive all the way, get take the train all the way to Bayport to, to pick up teen boys to come do a mystery in New York City? That sounds like a different kind of mystery. Right. Well. Well, in when they boys were in Chicago, some guy pulled up to the airport and was like, "Hey, I know your dad. Get in." And they got in their car and got kidnapped because that's what happens when you get in a stranger's car. So I think they learned a little bit. They're like, maybe we should just like hold off and talk to our dad first. Maybe. Although for some reason, I don't think that these boys learn a whole lot. They sound pretty stubborn. Seem pretty stubborn. Yeah, and they make a lot of the same mistakes, book after book after book. Oh, oh, and we miss the part where somebody tries to steal his dad's car oh yeah from his driveway the most fa- he's an internationally famous detective that they know he lives there and they try to steal his car right out of the driveway when that's the only car they try to steal out of driveways right that's not shore road yeah adjacent. also when that lady comes up to them and is like my car just got stolen they're like oh was it by the shore road and she's like yes and they're like were the keys in it yes yep. was it locked no. no okay well it was a fake car then <laughs> That's called a bait car, and it worked. And it was for insurance purposes, I'm sure. Yeah. But they find out after someone broke into their crime lab and stole the the work glove evidence they have, they find out that the Dodds jumped bail. Yeah. They find out that the Dodds, who they just bailed out, have fled and took their station wagon and they're gone. Ingrates. The late news reports gave no word on the missing Dodds, but another car had been reported stolen and presumed to have been driven towards Bayport. When the announcer read its description, Joe jumped up. A tan Carlton? Frank, it's the car that almost ran us down at the bluff! But that driver was headed north. Still... Frank snapped his fingers. I've got it! Tire marks prove the thieves always head south. But what's to stop them from turning around a minute later and heading north? A simple U-turn. Joe agreed. A simple U-turn? How could the police have not thought that maybe the criminals just turned around? And I like that it's a huge revelation. Like, what if, now hear me out, they turn around. Don't judge me. They don't just drive north. What if later they drive south? And it doesn't even matter. If somebody's chasing after you and you do a U-turn... Don't they notice that it's they'll see coming you pass them. at you? Yeah. Yeah. Very confusing. After this, it's not an important part of the story, but it's important for me to mention that the boys get home and Mrs. Hardy and Aunt Gertrude are out. This is the first time in six books that Mrs. Hardy has left the house. Woo! Woo! Good for her! Yeah, yeah! Getting some independence. I mean, she was accompanied by someone else, but she went to the store. And I think she goes to the store again later. 
And it's good. No, she I goes just, shopping. She goes shopping. That's mm-hmm. even better. Yeah. Um, but I was just very proud of Mrs. Hardy for leaving the house. I don't know if it was agoraphobia or what, but like she's finally out. I feel like it's some sort of Stockholm syndrome. Like maybe Fenton Hardy is actually really abusive and keeps whoa, her. Whoa, hey, whoa, whoa, whoa. Fenton Hardy will rough up some thugs, <laughs> but I think he's got a gentle touch for his wife. She seems to she seems to have a lot of respect for him. She doesn't listen to everything he says and does exactly what he tells her all the time. Because she's terrified of she's what terrified. will happen. I mean, have you seen what he's done to some of these people? Yeah. Iron fists. Iron fists. Uh, yeah. They go to check out the Dodd's boat to see if that's still there, if they've taken that, and they get chloroformed. Some guy sneaks up behind him and chloroforms them right as they're at the boat. Two guys, theoretically. I guess, because it gets all of them. Isn't maybe Chet's with them, too? No. It's just uh, the two of them. It's just the two of them, but it says the boys felt strong arms around their necks. Wet cloths were slapped over their faces. So theoretically, and these boys are so athletic and young and strapping. Yeah. So theoretically, if it was just one person. But they call it liquid gas. It's chloroform. We're going to talk about that a little bit more later. But yeah, they get liquid gassed out. And, uh, but they wake up, they're fine, but the boat, the Dodds boat is now gone. Um, Why, I just, it's another one of those things where like, why didn't the criminals do anything to them right they just glorified and left them yeah you meddling boys chet brings out a map he's like this will help us find the thieves and he has this incredibly detailed map of bayport and they pour over it for a half an hour just standing there staring at a map i was like i'm really glad this is not a visual medium (laughs) of the place that they grew up yeah it's the town they grew up they get hate mail in this in this book (laughs) I love the people in town find out that, like, they bailed out the Dodds and the Dodds jump bail and all these cars are being stolen. And, like... And they freak out. And their mom delivers the mail to them. It's like, here's some letters for you, boys. And then they open them and read them. And they're like, oh, they're... It's hate mail. People are really mad. How much do you want to bet, though, that they are universally loved in the town? Like, these boys walk around like tiny little celebrities. I guess. But now, well, anywhere they show up, people are like, aren't you Fenton Hardy's boys? Fenton Hardy, the internationally famous detective? Oh, this is also a major plot point. The reason why Chet is going vegetarian is because he wants to fend for himself because one never knows where one's next meal might come from. So he decides that he wants to learn all of this Like survival skills, basically. And they treat it like he's an idiot. And I wrote, like, that's not dumb. Right. It's totally reasonable. They should have a friend with them who knows, like, what's safe to eat and what isn't. Right. Especially considering how often they seem to not be spending the night at their house. Yeah. They 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 have a lot of stakeouts. Speaking of Chet, Aunt Gertrude tortures chet once she finds out about this oh my god she's awful to him she comes up with like big slices of cake and and milk and is like here you go boys and here's a glass of cold parsnip juice for you chet drink up drink up and they make him they like watch him and make him drink it all and do you know how many parsnips would have to go into that she spent all morning like she was at the store shopping for groceries and saw a bag of parsnips and was like oh this will be hilarious You know that fat kid that hangs out with the boys? I'm going to make him miserable. It's like three pounds of parsnip. The stomach pain from drinking that much concentrated. The the tension gets relieved from this horrible scene of Gertie torturing Chet when someone throws a grenade through the window. Right, yeah. A grenade. Through the window of their crime lab. Of their crime lab. Like, he throws it up there. Everybody screams. I think, is it Frank or Joe that goes and leaps towards the grenade? Which is obviously what you do. Right, yeah. 
Frank. Frank grabs it. He snatched up the grenade and ran to the window with the deadly missile. Wow, that's a lot of faith in your speed to like, I'm going to beat this explosive. Well, while we are waiting to find out what happens to Frank and his in the grenade in his hand, let's check in with Bingo real quick. All right. So um, I don't think the boys have left Bayport yet. Oh, there's a treasure. Yes, we found out that there is a treasure, but they haven't, they just heard about it. They haven't found it yet. The sleuth definitely. Oh, is that their? That's their boat. That they take out. Mrs. Hardy leaves the house. Oh, I'm so, so happy to finally see that one. No school, obviously. Sabotage. The boys haven't gotten tied up. Okay, I think that's good. Mm-hmm. No fist fights yet. But they're coming. Oh, they're coming. There's going to be so many fist fights. Oh, there was an animal. It was a dead bat. I'll count that. Okay, great. So we think that this grenade's going to go off. Joe, Frank, who Frank. has it? Frank has Frank it. Of has course, it. it's Frank. And Frank has it in his hand, but it's cool because nothing no, happens. No, he he throws Thro- it out the window, I think. But nothing. It doesn't explode. Doesn't explode. And then they go down to check it. They're like, right. must have been a dud. Let's go check it. That's exactly what you're not supposed to do. And he kicks it. Uh, well, uh, like, gingerly turns it over. But still, it doesn't matter if you kick it or you gingerly turn it over. You don't do that. Don't mess with an explosive if it hasn't gone off and you think that it's primed. But it has got a note inside of it. It turns out it's a fake grenade. That's one of... Franklin W. Dixon's fake grenades. This seems more like a hollowed out grenade, not one of those toy grenades. But uh, yeah, so it's just a note. It's one of those classic Hardy Boys back off notes. And I like that Aunt Gertrude gets highly indignant. And she says, the villain responsible should be tarred and feathered. Uh, Or like go to jail. Yeah. Next is when they go meet Scratch. For some reason, one of those characters that you were absolutely right does not need to be in this book. No, there's like seven characters in this book who do not need to be in it. They're out looking for stolen cars and just basically exploring the woods, and they run into Scratch Cantrell. I'm going to read you a description of Scratch. Before them stood the disheveled figure of Scratch Cantrell, a well-known local drifter and longtime acquaintance of the Hardys. We have never met Scratch before. Scratch lived alone in the woods. Under a straw hat and a ragged gray overcoat, he wore brown trousers, patched in several places. Two pieces of clothesline provided him with suspenders and rusty sewing scissors with which he shaved were tucked into a belt loop. The boys explained their interest in the shore road mystery. So that is a lot of descriptive words. Yeah, his whole outfit is described, and they've done this before where they're like, these wacky homeless people. As if homeless people are so unusual in the 50s. Yeah, like who could imagine a person who doesn't work at all? They get another clue. Somebody drops off a clue at their house that's like more clues about the pilgrim stuff. There's something about crashes. Yeah, they they keep hearing like loud crash after the car has been stolen. They keep hearing loud like the sound of a car crash in the woods. So they're looking for evidence of these cars being wrecked somewhere, but nobody can find anything. And also brown paint that they find on the ground. Brown paint. There's lots of little clues that are honestly really convoluted. They go for a plane ride to get a better look at the city. This was crazy. <laughs> They're like, let's get up in the air and look out over the city. Well, and they just happen to know the schedules of every person in the town. They're like, Larry, the the pilot, he's usually free afternoon. Right. And he's like, sure, yeah, I'll take you guys up. No big deal. Doesn't file a flight plan. Do you notice that? Didn't file a flight plan. Didn't contact any aviation authorities. Not at all. But is that a thing that happened in the 50s? I thought that people just flew around willy-nilly. Like, good luck, everybody. I bet there were a lot more plane crashes in the 50s. And no wonder, because when they go to the area around Shore Road to try to look at the, like, the area from the sky, someone opened fire on them with a machine gun, right? Yeah. An anti-aircraft gun? Is that what they have, or just a machine gun? I think it's maybe just a machine gun, but they're, like, 
ducking in their airplane and yeah the, they're the shooting engine. from below they're and not the, shooting from the side boys yeah and then oh no but the pilot says like stay away from the windows duck down guys he lands it no problem he does even though the engine is sputtering yeah the fuselage is leaking fuel yeah really crazy it doesn't surprise the boys or scar them as much as possible they just want to get the shells and find out if they're foreign made because the grenade was a foreign made weapon and the machine gun parts are foreign made to be fair this was the 50s yeah so they were russian right probably yeah yeah or german maybe sure okay and i mean it's just i like how there's like a blanket term for everything that's not american is just foreign foreign and then even even larry the pilot gives chet shit about his weight what do you think shall we charge him for extra freight that is terrible that's a mean thing to say to a 16 17 year old boy and you're an adult man i i like that everyone feels the need to express their superiority over chet morton who's just like a nice kid he's trying who also shows up unerringly for all of their adventures during which he almost gets killed and does not get any credit for or rewards or anything no he yeah he's just along he's just down for whatever they want he drives them all out to dates with his little sister and her best friend Ooh, that's weird they do some stakeouts they don't have any luck they see slagle they chase him but then they're blocked by cattle by that same stupid farmer who runs the cattle across the road right as they're chasing Slagle. In the middle of the night. In the middle of the night. Yeah. Yeah, and they're like, you can't do that. And he's like, oh, my bad, boys. And then you know that that guy is up to no good. You are suspicious, sir. And then also they follow this Slagle guy. And how do you not notice two motorcycles following you around? With teenage boys that you have previously attacked. At two o'clock in the morning. Right. And they're like, yeah, I'm definitely being followed. So first they save Scratch from a fire. They see a fire and they're like, there must be a fire. Let's go check it out. Yeah. But they save Scratch. He's been chloroformed and then somebody set the woods on fire. Around him. Around in a him, circle. A, in a ring circle of, of fire. Very Johnny no, Cash. You, you douse him in the fire. In the gasoline, right? Yeah, that's. I think that's the way that's it, supposed to work. That's what Forensic Files tells me. Right, is that you knock the person out and then you light them on fire, not yeah. a circle around them. Right. But they save, they save him from the fire and he tells him this story about how he saw a giant spider. A tree amend a spider. <laughs> <laughs> and they're like, okay, crazy. Because sure. he just inhaled a ton of smoke and has been drugged and knocked out. And also, I feel like maybe the way that they described him, he's not an entirely coherent person anyway. Yeah, they're like, this is one of his crazy rants where he saw a spider the size of a man. Then they realize that they're supposed to be uh, out on a date. They're like, oh, we're late for a date now. <laughs> Gotta go. So they go out and they go swimming and Callie is diving and they look around. They're so aware. Callie has been under the water for several seconds, is what they say. And she doesn't come up. And they're like, Callie must be in trouble. I feel like they'd be talking and then they'd like look around and be like, hey, where's Callie? But no, they are, they're on it. And they dive in to save her and someone has thrown a net over her while she was under the water. Just kind of messed up. What does this girl have to do with anything? I don't really know. It's though. just a random attempted murder. Yeah, Callie almost dies, but they save yeah. her and take her home because she's too shook up by almost dying and needs to go home. But also, they don't give that much credence to the fact that they just saved her life and she no. was like upset or it's anything. It's their second aquatic rescue okay. of the book. Then what? Now they're going to stake out the farm because they've decided that the farmer is a bad guy. Also, their mom is like, oh, that guy is no good. He sold us rotten vegetables and they're like, he must be a crook. Yeah. He's a bad he? farmer. And who's a bad farmer in upstate New York? It's <laughs> I, I think that one of my favorite things about the Hardy Boys is if someone is not successful at their job, they are considered a bad person. Like Oscar Smuff, not good at his job. 
bad guy. Uh, oh, also, he's fat. You have to be quite good friends, be willing to take quite a lot of harassment to be a fat person who's friends with the Hardys. <laughs> oh, they stake out this farm, and it's not even Joe and Frank. It's Chet and Frank who go to do it. Chet's such a champion. Oh, they split up because this dude, Biff, who has been present for one other sentence. He shows up in book. some of the other books. But yeah, he's at the beginning, and then Biff just shows up to like yeah. team up with Joe for it. And what are they going to do? They stake out someplace else. Oh, they stake out someplace else. Yeah, everybody splits up. They're lying in this gully between Shore Road and the farm. And right next to the where the farmland is, like where the tractor would run. And they get down in this gully and they roll out their sleeping bags to lay on it because the grass is wet. But then they get in their sleeping bags. And Chet pulls out a carrot. Yeah, to like... A notoriously loud food. And he gives them shit about eating a carrot, too. Dude, I'm trying to eat healthier. And at some point, did you notice Chet has a pocket full of watercress? Gross. It's like, is that a thing that you do? You just have a pocket full of... Soggy watercress microgreens, yeah, with that are full of lint now and yeah. like bits of dirt. Great, crunch that down. Mm. Farm living, but while they're in their sleeping bags, the tractor turns on and starts to come towards them. And like they hear a big crash, they see a car pull off the road onto the farm, and then the, then the tractor comes towards them and is spinning the blades directly, so they have to like roll out of the way yeah. of them because Chet's zipper but gets Chet stuck. Chet is so fat he can't get out of his sleeping bag. Why is he in his sleeping bag? I don't get why they got. They're not camping in here. They're just lying in the ditch staking the place out but anyway they survived this attempted murder with the tractor I don't it seems like it was more of an action like the tractor turns on drives just once across the field and then stops it was definitely a mistake yeah I don't know a but they, murderous mistake but they live the next day is when they confront Slagle they chase and, him for a while and they're like hey we know exactly who you are not a great tactic no and he pulls out a sword cane and is like I will kill you <laughs> I kind of want one of them to get seriously injured just to show them. Well, just hold on Mm. because right after that is they see the they're driving at night. They're looking all around. They're doing another stakeout and they see the Spider-Man. That's right. There is Spider-Man in this book. He is a guy in a black wetsuit who climbs up a net. Spider-Man. Yeah. Probably where Stan Lee originally got the idea. So when they see the Spider-Man, they're riding their motorcycles. They're looking at Spider-Man. They're going to try to like catch up to him or figure out where he's going. And a wire has been strung across the road a clothesline frank manages to skid to a stop but joe hits it at full speed and mangles and twists his motorcycle and goes flying and also is not decapitated is not decapitated no he it seems like it's low which would maybe be the best ending to the book and joe is decapitated (laughs) the end (laughs) rather than the end let's check in with bingo again An actual injury, I think that just happened. Severe injury. Right, because Joe ends up in the hospital from that. Trespassing on farmland, they definitely did that. Sure thing. Attempted murder. They really tried to murder Callie. And technically Joe. Oh yeah, boys have not been tied up. There has not been an explosion. I don't see, if we have a disguise and the queen, and the queen's about to show up. He's about to, he's about to take it, so we'll have that. Hi everyone, sorry for the interruption. One of my favorite things that I get to do is write for an all-ages show called Siren Song, A Pirate's Odyssey at Buntport Theatre for All Ages. Jess Robley, Mitch Slevick, Jack Wepso, and myself write a new episode every month telling the continuing adventures of a bumbling castaway, a mischievous god, and a pirate with a lot to prove. If you like all-ages theater, if you like pirates, if you like this show, please go online to buntport.com and make a donation. Just put Siren Song in the description. The new season of Siren Song premieres in October. Can't wait to see you there. Thanks, folks. Let's get back to the show. Okay. So Joe is in the hospital. Yeah, his legs are all hurt up real bad. And his parent, 
or well, his mom and his aunt are not that concerned. They don't go to the hospital. Like shake it off. Yeah, he comes home and they're like, rest up, Joe. I was in a, I totaled my motorcycle, guys. Like, yeah. my legs are all screwed up. And then he says he's going to drive, later he's like, I'll, I'll drive the car. That won't hurt my legs. Well, that's the part of the job where you use your legs. No, it was the boat. Oh, the, the boat. boat. Okay. Yeah. I was confused by that. Because they do go out on the boat, even though Joe should be home resting. And they see a guy, Melamin, the guy who tried to get them to go to New York earlier. Anyway, he's watching them from like the cliff. I don't know. I don't, it's, this is extraordinarily confusing. And for a children's book, I should never be confused as an adult But it's this. so confusing. They get more hate mail. They get hate mail throughout. Sometimes people walk up to them in the street and yell at them. Give them shit. Give them shit. <laughs> and they're like, my car got stolen last night. It's your fault, you know. You bailed those car thieves out. Although, honestly, the Hardys could probably just buy everyone in town a new car. It seems like that's Fine. not a problem. Yeah. They break and enter at the Dodds house. Um, and they're sneaking around in the Dodds house, but Chet sneezes. God damn it, Chet. They've had a friend do this before. Jerry sneezed in a previous adventure and gave away their position. But it turns out the guy hiding in the house is Martin Dodd, the brother of Jack Mr. Dodd's Dodd. dad. Yeah, Mr. Yeah. Dodd. Uncle. Martin. Yeah, the uncle of the family. And he's the guy who gave them the pilgrim clue and has been trying to like secretly help them solve the mystery. He gives them an like an astronomical clue? Yeah, which honestly didn't make a whole lot of sense. It was like, the position of Venus will help us determine where the treasure is, but Venus is only in the same spot every eight years because of its irregular orbit. It's one of those things where we learn a dumb amount about something that isn't important because it's the Hardy Boys. Yeah. So in this one, we learned about the orbit of Venus. So, you know, they're educating the youth of America. Sure, they have to. Yeah. They get a, a note from the Dodds to come meet them, but they know immediately that it's fake because it's the same typed on the same typewriter as the warning note they got from the bad guys. And also they somehow found out that Slagle is left-handed. But that he has trained himself to use both hands. And also... Does that matter? Was this any of that? Did any of that oh, matter? it did. In the typewritten note, they figured oh, out that, that the, the left... The, the keys hit with the left fingers were... A little harder. A little harder. Oh, and then they also have another note... They get like three They get a bunch of notes. notes. Yeah, it's like, don't look for us. You guys were suckers. They get one from the Dodds. They're like, <laughs> you suckers shouldn't have bailed us out. And they're like, I don't think yeah. this is the Dodds. Yeah. Why would the Dodds be mad at us? Yeah. And then and then they get another note that says that they have escaped the criminals. And to meet them. At Saucer Rock. Saucer Rock at Shore Road. On Shore Road. Back to Shore Road. Yeah. Then we get Chet's chapter. Chet gets a whole chapter. He sure does. This is where the pocket watercress comes into play. Yeah, and it's just Gertrude torturing Chet again. <laughs> She's like, oh, Chet, if you're driving south, would you take this warm, freshly baked hot fudge cake to, uh, to you know, this neighbor lady? And it's clearly a trick. Yeah. She's just trying to get him to break his diet. Why can't they just be encouraging? Right. Like, good for you, Chet. You're, you're out trying. there. trying. You're hiking around with the boys. You're and eating they, vegetables. They even comment that he's ob like obviously losing weight. Right. I think, you know what I think? They like having a fat friend. Right. They don't like the idea of like another Biff Hooper who's going to show up and be like this athletic lifeguard guy. You know what I really want for Chet? What? I want him to pull a Jerry O'Connell. Yeah. Where he was the fat kid in Stand By Me and then he turned super hot. And was an underwear model, right? Didn't he model underwear at Maybe, one point? Maybe, but he definitely married Rebecca Romaine. And that's all you have to say. Right. That's right. how that story ended. And I want the Hardy Boys to gain a lot of weight in yeah. the middle age. Lose their hair. And never talk about anything but their boyhood adventures. Oh, yeah. Like some sad frat boys. Like some frat, yeah, exactly. They're talking about like one time when they 
went on this crazy bender and you know like right and they woke up and they all had the same tattoo and like oh yeah you've told that story before lots of times lots of but in chet's chapter yeah she gives him this cake and he like he opens the box just to look at it because he can smell it Oh, Chet. and then like there's a dollop of frosting this seems all planned Don't by gertrude i know and he's like oh there's a dollop of frosting and he tasted it and he's like oh that's great and then like he eats another one and then like he like Takes a little bit off the cake and he's like, oh, crap, that looks no, terrible. No, even it out. Even it out. And by the time it's done, he's eaten like a bunch of the cake. <laughs> he decides that he's going to take out just a slice and admit it to the yeah, neighbor. Which is the smartest thing to do. Yeah. They all know Chad. He's like, I couldn't resist. It's delicious. <laughs> and they would have been fine with that. But, but he they... does it with his fingers and he mucks it all up. So he's, he's like, I'll try. I'll even it out. Oh. And he never fixes it. <laughs> <laughs> and he also never delivers this cake. <laughs> I know. I love that. And, so, and he also never admits to no, anyone. It's just like, I'm never going to mention this cake. Ever again. But so he's he's got his face covered in chocolate frosting. And he's at this junkyard because he's followed this truck that the Hardy Boys told him to look out at. And he's like, and so he's like, oh, I got to get out of here. Like, this is the criminals. I've discovered where the criminals are taking the stolen cars. And he turns to leave. And the bad guys are right there. And I just imagine like a plump kid with chocolate frosting <laughs> all over his face. And like three bad guys and with he guns. he barrels into them. He jumps on them and squishes one of them. Yeah. And then just like fights like hell and gets away. And he's like, they didn't know who I was. They won't care. <laughs> this <laughs> poor kid. I know. He's like, oh my God. What am I going to do? He, uh. Oh, and oh. you know the saddest part about this? The entire Chet's chapter. Chet's chapter yeah. is called A Hungry Sleuth. A Hungry Sleuth. <laughs> Not even in the chapter title could it be like Chet's, you know. Grand Adventure. Chet's Adventure. Yeah, right. Chet's Victory. Right. He, he did good sleuthing. He did. And he found. A major clue. He did. He, he found, found a phonograph record. And he steals it. He knows he's smart enough to be like, I'm going to take that with me. Yeah. But he puts it under his shirt. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> Poor kid. So... So then it cuts away from Chet, like, away from Chet's adventure to the boys who are there to meet, you know, they know it's a trap, but they're going to meet the Dodds at Saucer Rock. And from the top of Saucer Rock, they just, the criminals just push the the Dodds sedan off the edge to fall on them them and crush them, which is an awesome way to kill people. (laughs) Like... I actually it's wrote very worst lo- murder attempt ever. No, it's like a Looney Tunes murder attempt. Where they're like, I'm going to push this heavy thing and hope they don't get out of the way. Right. Also, But the boys didn't get like sprayed with shrapnel. It was just shrapnel. one. It was Joe because... Uh, oh, yeah. Frank is... Frank is uh, still recovering. No, and, it's Frank because Joe's the one who's recovering, I think. Oh. I think at this point he might be recovered. I think what's happening is that Frank is looking for a used car. They have a plan where they're going to buy a car. That's right. With their saved up with money. With their saved up money. So then everybody meets up back at the house, and Aunt Gertrude is like, Chet, thank you so much for delivering that cake. And Chet's just like, huh, yeah, uh-huh. yeah, definitely. And they actually talk about how his stomach hurts because he ate he so, ate so much, much cake. cake. <laughs> like, has a stomach ache. And then she's like, look, you've deserved it. Let me make you a slice of cake. You should break your diet. And he's like, I, go, I'm, I, gotta, I gotta go. And then he runs out of the house. <laughs> 
And never admits that that woman didn't get her cake. Never, ever. They go Um, to stake out the junkyard now and park in an alleyway to look at it and get carbon monoxide poisoning and almost pass, like, almost die. No, they almost die because both of them... He looks over at Joe and he's like, Joe, I'm getting kind of sleepy. And Joe's unconscious and he's like, oh. Uh -oh. And then he almost blacks out. But they are saved by Frank's quick thinking to open the door. Which doesn't actually make a whole lot of sense. Because they said they cracked the windows, too. Yeah, but it says Frank felt himself slumping to the floor. But I didn't he, even get that. I thought they actually passed out from the carbon monoxide Frank poisoning. Frank yanks his, jerks his head, is what happens, and manages to, like, revive himself enough to pull himself out. Hey, good for... that's the way it works. That's the way it works. <laughs> now they find out that Martin Dodd, the guy who gave him the Venus clue, is missing. They find more dead bats. They single-handed, no, double-handedly, fix their exhaust. Yeah, they fix the punctured exhaust on their car that somebody did at some point. I don't know how that could happen, but that was a weird interlude that didn't need to happen. And then they get information from their dad that the smugglers are smuggling nerve gas. No, it just says smuggling gas. They find out from that telegram that they intercepted that the gas, that, that what they're smuggling is nerve gas, nerve toxin. Right. Which is, why do crimp? Why do like car thieves need nerve gas? That's a really good question. Like, what is the mm. end goal here? What are they financing? That's terrorism stuff. It is terrorism. <laughs> they're financing terrorism. That's what they're doing. Yeah, <laughs> it seems like it was probably the commies. I don't know. With a name like Slagle, you never know. You never know. You never know. I'm sure they tell us exactly what nationality he is in the original edition <laughs> um, and how swarthy he is. Then there's some crazy boat adventure. They, like, take the boat out. They The criminals have a boat, too, a barge. Frank tries to climb on it. Yeah, but they have the international code message that, they, that yeah, they, the bad guys flashed at the other boat to let them know... One of the Hardy Boys. And they don't say, like, look out, which would be really fast. Right. What do they say? Do you have that? One of Hardy kids swimming toward you. Stop him. That would take forever. Right. And also, Joe just knows it. He knows it. He has it memorized. He can read it just off the top of his head. When were they trained to do this? In the womb? In the womb. Yeah. This stuff comes in uh, in vitro. And then Joe, so Frank's swimming towards the boat, and then Joe jumps in and swims after him. Frank climbs up on the side of the boat because he doesn't realize that this light is blinking. Yeah, the bad guys. Right. Yeah. And then he gets whapped over the head super hard. But Joe grabs him and pulls him off the boat. And like safety swims him back. Yeah. And they get onto their own boat, the sleuth, and Chet gets knocked out and Joe gets knocked out. By the Spider-Man. By Spider-Man. Well, it's time to do bingo anyway because Spider-Man just showed up. So let's see what's left on bingo. Um, Okay. Well, we have the queen because that's what what Chet drove around during his whole cake-eating adventure. Oh, poor Chet. Poor Chet. Fist fight. That was also Chet. And Frank and Joe on the deck of that ship and a bunch of other fist fights. Yep. We're so close. Uh, but I think that's all. I want to bingo so hard. Sabotage. Mm. Uh, definitely their exhaust was sabotage. Ooh, so they truth. claim. Yeah. Well, no, uh, there was holes. There were punch, holes. Punched in it. Yeah. Yeah. That mm-hmm. seems pretty legitly sabotage. Yeah. Man, we are so close. All right. But we have the last of the story to get to. The oh, boys then, win their fight against Spider-Man. Kind of. Chet wakes up and the guy's like, oh, and runs away. The fat kid. Yeah, exactly. That could take me out. <laughs> yeah, so he runs away. They, Tony, Preto, finds that the Dodd's boat has been sunk. Yeah, and Tony's been kind of in and out randomly. Yeah, they don't invite him on things, but sometimes they'll be like, boys, I got a clue for you. Like, he really wants to be part of the mm. 
they get told that they need to go leave town. Like, basically, they get another warning. It's like, leave town for five days. Or they get a phone call. Yeah, they do. They get a phone call. Mean phone call. So they decide to do that, to, like, fake a vacation. And they, like, leave their mom and aunt in this house. And tell them, like, pretend like you're really sad that we're leaving. It was very weird. And then Aunt Gertrude just, like, waves around some onions and pretends to be sad. It was really bizarre. Just act. Yeah. Gertie, just act. Get your shit together. So they buy a used car while they're on fake vacation, a C Green Chancellor, that the guy is really confused why these 16, 17-year-old boys are much more concerned with how the car looks than the quality of the engine and the carburetor. And I'm like, that would make perfect sense to me as a guy selling a car. Right. And also the fact is, this car salesman specifically says, I, I would, would not, not buy, buy this, this car. car. Right. In what universe does a car salesman try to say... Oh, not that one, guys. That's, uh, it needs a lot of work and, uh, no. frankly just not road safe. Right. Yeah. Uh They park the car and Chet parks in the distance, I guess, to watch them. And they hide in the trunk of the Sea Green Chancellor. Oh, and then they have to explain to Chet what the Trojan horse is. Yeah, like, Chet is that dumb. Right. He's been spending all this time at the museum, but none of that's worn off. No, he's too fat to be smart. Jeez. He really gets... (laughs) Just dumped on. Dumped on this whole book. <laughs> oh, man. But the the car that they bought is too crappy, so the engine doesn't start when the thieves try to steal it, and they end up just <laughs> stuck in the trunk for a couple hours. So they get out, and they try it again the next night. But After this time, spending all day working on the engine, no, they fix it. It says, engine. the next morning, the boys had breakfast and went to church. Yeah. Even when they're on fake vacation. They are, they're like, these are good boys. They make right. sure it's Sunday. They go to church. I feel like that was an amendment in the 50s version. Right. And they went to church. And then they spent the rest of the day fixing the remainder of the day, fixing their engine. So then yeah. when they try it again, this time they lay their sleeping bags in the out at the bottom. The air mattress. The air mattress. In the this trunk. This is a giant trunk. Yeah, it's huge. It's too, easily two boys fit in there. And they climb in. This time the engine starts. Did you see this picture? Yeah, that's them. They're not sitting, they're not lying on their sides. They're sitting cross-legged or with their knees tucked in front of them. And these are strapping young lads. They're barely crouching their necks. That's like a trunk that's like three and a half feet deep. Yeah. That's Okay, well, anyway, it's it's an amazing car. They got a steel deal on it. Um, (laughs) They get back, so they get to the hideout and they get out of the trunk and nobody's around and they rescue everybody. Jack and Jack Dodd and his dad and. No, okay, wait. So the second time they they get into the trunk. Okay. And then the trunk, and then the car gets stolen this time. The car gets stolen. And then the thieves are like, well, what's in the trunk? Right. And they put the key in the trunk to open it. And, and then, then they're they like, called away. Oh, don't have time to open the trunk. Just kidding. So they get out. Yeah. And then they find themselves in a cove. Yeah. Cave? A secret hideaway. A cave cove. A yeah. Cove cave. It's been made with dynamite. They know that because of all the dead bats. <laughs> Hence all of the dead bats. Oh, the dead bats. Which also made no sense. How are these bats getting anywhere? They're like, this one made it all the way down to the beach. Right. And you're like, but it got hit with dynamite. You Didn't said. they find one like in their garage? Yeah, like, like out on the street. Someplace close to their house. Anyway, no, that the bat thing didn't make sense. Like nope. most of this. They rest they think they rescue everybody, they untie everybody, but then the crooks are still there, so they get caught right away. Immediately. immediately. They immediately get caught. Yeah. They untie everybody and then get held up at gunpoint. Yep, with a machine gun. Someone points a, a machine gun at them, like a Tommy gun, I assume. And I am seriously disconcerted. Is their mom on like a crazy amount of Valium or something? That she's so tranquil. Well, yeah. She really does not care that she's their like, kids. You, you boys be safe out there. We won't. No. Not at all, Mom. She's like, yeah. I know. 
Okay. Well, then whatever. Do that. Yeah. I'm trying to get to this one point in the book where the the plot of the bad guys, this the whole scheme they've been running with these cars and what they've been stealing them. They've been stealing them and then making them look bad. They've been painting them with like fake rust and doing really superficial damage to them to make them look like old beat up cars, which worked. I mean, nobody thought those cars were stolen. Well, and also at some point, Slaggle buys 20 gallons of paint. And doesn't tip off anybody. Do you know how many gallons that is? Yeah, it says it takes multiple trips into the store. That's a lot. That's, that's a lot. so much paint. Yeah. That is the, so much that's paint. That's like so much paint that the back of his car is like scraping on the... Right. Anytime there's a bump, takes <laughs> off a giant chunk of the car. So I wanted to get to this. Exposition. Maybe you won't mind telling us why you framed the Dodds. Sure. And then it's three pages. It's three pages. It's just them going, confessing to everything. These boys need a tape recorder. They need some sort of small recorder because every single time they meet a villain, the villain tells them everything they've done, where they can find all the evidence, you know, little things like, but then why did you go to the hotel? We did that because this, you know. Right. Oh, they do actually say, and you're bringing guns and nerve gas into the United States for use by subversive gangs? Subversive? That's communists. That's what they're talking about. Anarchists, communists. Yeah. This is the description of what the Spider-Man thing and the... I'm going to just read this as best I can, but it's very confusing. Oh, they're in a gully. Before they rescue the prisoners, after they've gotten out of the car, the brothers crouched behind up-jutting rocks and beamed their lights upward. There was a short gully from the beach to the grassy slope. Look, Frank hissed. Pegged into the soil near the foot of the slope was a long stretch of thick netting it must go to the top he said that's how they get the stolen cars down the net would give the cars traction slagle's army hitch probably taught him this kind of operation i don't understand this so they take the cars from shore road they drive across the farmland that's like all bumpy yeah then the guy takes his tractor across it immediately to get rid of the tire tracks and then they drive down an embankment so steep that a person has to like climb it like a rock climber up a net but there's enough traction from a net the net doesn't get caught in the tires. No. And they just barrel down this hill and no one sees this or hears it. Yeah. And it doesn't like knock a bunch of stuff loose. It's crazy. I don't understand this at all. Uh, the gravity, how do they stop at the bottom of this thing? And then they get it down to this like secret area and then they like this little fake cave? dock area cave that they made. And then they then they get the cars onto this boat. Onto this boat. To be sailed for some nefarious purpose. But we find out that they're putting the tanks of nerve gas inside these cars and weapons. Because why would anybody check these old dilapidated cars? Yeah, look in the trunks. I don't know. It's a really convoluted plan. They could have just been car thieves. And they also don't explain... The purpose of nerve gas? Yeah, what they're going to use it for, which Nothing. is very seems very important. Then when they trap the boys, they have them at, after they've confessed to everything. The boys get tied up and there's there's they're going to lock them in a room with a tank of nerve gas is what they say. But right. they use the terms, and we talked about this, they use the terms liquid gas, which is what the boys were chloroformed with, and nerve gas. Interchangeably. Interchangeably. Those are totally different things. Yeah, one melts your face off. Yeah, and like gives you lifelong medical problems if you live, and then the other one uh, knocks you out for a little bit. Right. Unless it's used in incredibly high dosages. But anyway, the the boys escape because they see <laughs> empty oxygen tanks, and they're like, those oxygen tanks, they know they're oxygen tanks, but they see these empty O2 tanks, and they're like, oh, let's... 
I, what is well, this? They, okay, you walk they, me through okay. this. See if I'll understand they it decide, when you say it. They decide that they are going to knock over these O2 tanks and pretend that they have been gassed with this nerve gas to scare the guards away from them. Okay. And then they start coughing. Now they can act. Mm-hmm. Well, no. That was Aunt Gertrude. Aunt okay. Gertrude. No, Aunt these boys Gertrude are good at faking it. Yeah. So these guys all start coughing. Like they're getting nerve gassed and the dude freaks out, He's runs you away. You idiots, yeah. Yeah, and then he goes over and all of this happens really quickly. And for how much time this book spends on them going to this road and that road and camping Staking out. Staking out there. Yeah, they blast through this last bit that has yeah. the best action. Definitely. In like they, 10 pages. Yeah, the guy runs out, they get untied, then they run back in and they're wearing yeah. masks, like gas masks. No, they aren't even wearing gas they're masks. They're wearing paper, white paper masks. They're wearing uh, cloths oh, over cloths? their face. That'll, yeah. that'll work. That'll help. And then the guy says, gas, there's no gas here. These kids tricked you. And then all of a sudden, one of the guys who comes in with the cloth masks nails another dude in the face. Like, with an iron this? fist. Yeah, with his iron fist because it's Fenton, Fenton Hardy, Hardy. Who's managed to be in disguise. He like, his, it turns out, as always, Fenton's case is the same case the boys were working on. His smuggling case that he's been working on the whole book. In, from New York. From New York. Yeah. So he like got on the barge or whatever. and Yeah. He had undercover work. And he hid aboard the barge when they left New York to yeah. sail the Bayport. Smart guy. And then he KO'd the barge pilot. Borrowed his uniform and came ashore. But I like that they spelled it K-A-Y-O-E-D. They K-O'd him. You K-O'd him. Yeah. As opposed to capital K. K period. O. Period. period. Apostrophe D? I don't know. Is that the way I that think works? that's how you would do it. Okay. But no, no, I'm going to spell it like that. Mm-hmm. So he KOs him. Everybody teams up. Oh, we forgot that Chet was supposed to go get the police, but he oh, got caught. He God was trying to run Chet. away, but he was too slow. He's and they caught fat. him. It's like he didn't get shot in the back. These guys are wielding machine guns and are nerve gassing people. Uh, but are totally afraid to use their guns. And also, why are all of these people still alive? They're just collecting... Yeah, uh, witnesses. Yeah. yeah oh, they... and also giving them... All of the information yeah. to, to incriminate them. There's also... At one point, they say there was a dozen henchmen. And then that then it becomes like four henchmen that they can take out easy. Yeah. And also... <laughs> There's a lot of and also and also... And also... They get hit a lot with sharp things. Yeah. But hit... Not stabbed. Yeah, they get slapped with the blade of knives. Yeah. What are you doing, guys? Yeah, Do you not know how knives work? Oh, but so yeah, so, all yeah. these guys. A big fist fight. Everybody's fist fighting everybody. Milliman, whatever, the guy from New York who tried to get them to go. New- yeah, that guy runs away and gets on the barge with two cars. And when they catch up to him, he unhooks one of the cars so that it falls into the ocean and, and the has- dods are tied up in it. Yeah. And so then one of the boys has to jump in and, and it, but it takes several people to open it up because. Yeah. Then cops, the cops have showed up. Yeah. So everybody dives in and they manage to like work together to get the door open and they get all these they save everybody right they clearly didn't watch that youtube video that teaches you how to get out of a car right as it's flooding yeah you roll down the window you roll down the window and yeah. let the surface yeah. tension even yeah. out the water pressure fine. even out mm-hmm. wait be patient don't unbuckle freak out. your seatbelt. stay in your seat they don't know about that after this they immediately find the treasure it is not hard at all they're like oh wait remember about that treasure oh yeah right. and then they dive and then they come up and they're like here's the treasure where how do they find it yeah uh literally it makes it makes no sense they start talking about this note that they got and they were thought it was Willow, but it ended up being Billow and it had something to do with this cave, but then this cave like filled in with what global warming or something. I don't know. It the tide no rose sense. and the land shifted and And so they all dive 
and then they come back with a wooden chest. Like they just, first place they dive. Yeah, no one's found this before. It hasn't moved at all. It's the first place that and they look. isn't this nighttime? It's like nighttime with a storm rolling in and there's lightning and thunder everywhere. And yeah, and there's been gunfire and... Uh, and you've been like nerve gassed and knocked over and the I head several times. I assume there's like times. police on the shore with their lights on and stuff. Yeah. But what yeah, but they just dive. They find the treasure. They open it up. And what does it have? It's got jewels. Yeah. Piles of green and blue jewels, strings of ruby beads, and rotted pouches of gold coins, glistened with seawater amid brown weeds and Irish moss. And then near one corner lay a large algae-covered object, which is the bottle that has the notes The letter from the Dodd family. This is the Dodd family's treasure, right? Yeah, but it's They say you'll get a healthy reward. Sure, but it also doesn't actually makes sense how they're related to this guy who clearly perished with his entire family i didn't understand that either you they can't... didn't say like an only one survivor who then got me ma- like no, no. they're like they all died they all died that doesn't sound right is this like your uncle? great 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 uncle yeah um but then the uh, let's see the adventure is over they're like, all right, everybody, let's go get dinner. And we'll do a special vegetables, like a vegetarian meal for you, Chet. And Chet basically is like, F that. Frick now smiled at the Dodds. How about a lift? Only if you'll promise to share Thanksgiving with us this fall, Jack answered. We're going to have a feast that would make our ancestors proud. And you're going to join us too, Chet. We'll even have a special seaweed menu for you. No, roast turkey and sweet potatoes and or chocolate cake with frosting? Chet groaned. Stop it. Anything but seaweed. Chet didn't eat any seaweed in this book. No, but he did go on like this weird thing. Algologist? Yeah. Is that the way you say it? I think so. It's a person who only eats sea plants. So there were many very weird and unexplainable <laughs> things in this book. Uh, what was what was your impression tearing through this book? You read it incredibly fast, which I appreciate. Yeah. Probably the way to do it. Really true. I, I sat down and like two beers in like three hours. Yeah. Just did it. Made it happen. You know what? I'm not going to lie. I, I love to hate how much they bully Chet. Every time that they bully Chet, you're like, guys. But it's hilarious. Yeah. It's, it's unfair and also hilarious but you know what every every hero needs a fat friend yes mm-hmm. well we got to do our final check-in with bingo definitely a gunfight definitely treasure and a reward there was a red herring there were a lot of red herrings the boys got tied up and a disguise we not only have one bingo we have two bingos victory double bingo i gotta change up this bingo board uh and add some stuff like give me a high five yeah, we'll see if we I... did it yeah okay i feel like that's a huge success double bingo and uh yeah that's awesome okay great that's also the can end. we mention that the front of this book has the two boys on their motorcycles with their little police radio oh okay and a dude on a net the spider-man the spider-man but the net looks like a spider web. It's actually woven to look like a web. One of the chapters is called The Spider's Net. And I was like, that was sort of a missed opportunity, Frank. Yeah. The spider's web. Right. Spiders yeah. don't s- spin nets. but Unless you're a man-sized spider. And uh, yeah. So that's the Shore Road mystery. I think that's it. Thank you so much, Kelly. No problem. It's been My wonderful. Pleasure. Come back. Normally, I would use this segment to highlight a local bar or one of my favorite bartenders. 
but this week I'm doing something kind of different. I'm going to roll up the sleeves and make a drink myself. I also thought I would talk a little bit about why cocktails and bartending are so important to me. I bartended for several years in Deadwood, South Dakota, where I met wonderful, weird, and hilarious people who really made me feel part of a community. Bartending in a small town requires you to be lots of things that you wouldn't expect. You're a weatherman, you're a tour guide, you're a ride home when people need it, you're a small bank when people need it. My sister Faye, who is a much better bartender than I, taught me how to bartend in Shadron, Nebraska. She taught it to me as a way to help me overcome some of the anxiety I had interacting with strangers. And now I host a podcast where I interview people all the time, so apparently it worked. I should probably give credit to my parents as well, who taught me how to make martinis for them at a very young age. Sometimes those fantastic martinis have kept me from being fired. Speaking of my family, my brother is in a great play right now. It's called Dinner, and it's by Moira Buffini, and it's at the Edge Theater in Lakewood, Colorado. It's a surreal, hilarious comedy. I'm sure you'll enjoy it. If you like this podcast, it's right up your alley. It runs through September, and you can buy tickets at theedgetheater.com. The drink I made for this episode is a Colorado twist on a vodka sidecar, which is technically called a balalaika, I think. I'm in a great new place. I have a great new job. I have a wonderful wife, and this podcast is going great. Basically, everything's just peachy, and I think this drink really represents that. Thank you so much for making the show a success and for listening. I can't tell you how much I appreciate it. The Hardy Boys Drink Book Podcast is produced by Jack and Charles Webso. Our music is provided by Danny Overby. Our photography and graphic design is provided by Kristen Hallstrom. Special thanks to Taylor Trask at Their Network for being our guest host. If you like the show, please leave a review on iTunes. And if you have any questions, comments, or drunken fan theories, please contact us at thehardyboysdrinkbook at gmail.com. Check out the website at www.hardyboysdrinkbook.com for the recipe for today's drink and for photos. And don't forget to tune in next week for The Hardy Boys Drink Book number seven, The Secret of the Caves.